from the mouth of babes. Thanks, Michaela. That was awesome. God be with you. So as you may have heard, uh, we are entering into our Lenten sermon series, and we're calling it Rivers of Justice. And that's a throwback certainly to that Isaiah text, but especially to the text in Amos, where God tells us what God wants. I want rivers of justice and righteousness. And within that is this call to be, as we've been talking about all service, a call to be a source, a flow of justice in the world that comes out from our relationship with Jesus and out into the world. And each week we'll be spending some time talking about one contemporary huge justice issue that is in our world. Uh, Next week we talk about consent and our sexual relationships. After that we talk about immigration and refugees. And after that we talk about um, our criminal system. But today I am super excited to welcome someone who can help us understand what it means to be the church and have a relationship with our indigenous neighbors. Uh, Bill Phipps is a former moderator of the United Church. He is a lawyer, a social activist, and all, an all-around very cool dude. Uh, would you please give a very warm Red Deer Lake welcome to the Reverend Bill Phipps. Welcome. Thank you. You're very welcome. It's nice to be here. We're glad to have you. Thank you. <laughs> I'll let you do your thing. Yeah, well, will you? Well, that's good. <laughs> Actually, it's wonderful uh, to have a chance to still, uh, 10 years after retirement, to visit congregations of the United Church of Canada. And uh, wherever I go, uh, you always uh, see all different kinds of connections with people. And I I, uh, didn't know this with Nick at all, but there are two very special connections that we discovered we we had. Actually, three, I guess. But one of them is that... uh, Peter Short, who uh, is, was also a former moderator of the United Church, uh, was um, Nick's minister in Fredericton and was very instrumental in uh, actually you ending up here because he was an inspiration to Nick to enter into the ministry and, and so on and so on. And uh, Peter and I have known each other for uh, well over 30 years because he was the minister in Yellowknife where I met Carolyn, my wife. So, so Yellowknife to Fredericton, Montreal in between, and so on. So, And Peter remains a very dear friend of ours uh, to this day. Uh, then, then the other connection is uh, Nick goes to uh, Toronto and is a youth minister at the church that I grew up in in Toronto beginning in 1948. Uh, and that church uh, and that congregation uh, was very important in my staying in the church at all and then eventually ending up going into going into ministry. So the two very important connections. And then the last one, I guess, is I find out that uh, I, I always ask somebody where they live, if they lived in Toronto, where, because I grew up in Toronto and uh, found out that Nick uh, lived in Toronto, not very far from where my daughter right now is raising her family uh, in Toronto. So we talked about different places along the Danforth and so on. So it's very interesting. uh, Wherever you go in our church, actually, you'll find you meet people who uh, have connections from Newfoundland to Yukon. Uh, 
And uh, so, but it's great to be here in this place, in this sanctuary, in this beautiful part of of God's world. So I thank you for the invitation, and I also thank you for wanting to uh, hear some of the story of the United Church journey in terms of reconciliation and justice with First Nations people. Um, it's a long story, and I'm not going to give you the whole long story because it, it's a very long story with many tributaries. Uh, but the most recent phase of our involvement with Indigenous peoples began uh, with that 1986 apology that was delivered by the mod then moderator Bob Smith in Sudbury, Ontario. Uh, just out of uh, curiosity, was there anybody here who was at that general council in Sudbury in 1986? Quite often there is somebody will put up their hand when I, when I ask that question. It was a momentous event. It was a very special moment in the life of our church. But we had no idea at the time how it would affect our church or how it would propel us into a turning point in Canadian history. I happened to be there as a theme speaker, and I'll never forget our walking down the hill to the sacred fire delivering the apology to Edith Memnuck, who was from Saddle Lake, Alberta. She was the elder who physically received the apology from the moderator. And she received the apology, but it has still not been accepted. The idea being, are we going to walk the talk? But she embraced Bob when she received the apology, and she said to him, I have been waiting all my life for this moment. And we continue on that journey from that place. And then from 1986 to 1998, the United Church undertook, I think, many, many different things to try to demonstrate that we were committed to walking the talk. We created the Alberta or, or the All Native Circle Conference, which was a form of self governance of the First Nations in our congregations in our church to govern in the way, in traditional uh, Aboriginal ways. And uh, that was a very important piece of saying uh, there are various ways to come together as God's people. We established the first healing fund in Canada. A lot of people don't know that, but the first healing fund was established by the United Church of Canada, and that fund is still available both to receive contributions and to give uh, grants to various projects of, of healing around the, around the country. We increased staff resources with respect to indigenous issues. We created uh, educational centers for uh, First Nations ministries, uh, and the current uh, two of them amalgamated to form the Sandy Soto Center, which is continuing to do its work just outside Winnipeg. Um, we elected our first, and so far only, indigenous moderator, a, a Cree a person from Manitoba, Stan Mackay, uh, and many other projects, educational resources, worship resources, and and so on to try to demonstrate that we were walking the talk. And then in 1998, uh, the apology to uh, survivors, 
their families and communities of the Indian residential schools in which the United Church was involved. And that's the apology that I delivered uh, when I was moderator early on in my term. Not many people know the story that led up to that particular apology, so I'm going to tell you a little bit of that story. It's a very moving story of a, of a small congregation and a wider, wider church and country. In 1995 or 96, somewhere in there, the first high-profile uh, sexual assault case uh, concerning Indian residential schools uh, hit the news. And it became an extremely high-profile case. It's the Blackwater case. Willie Blackwater went to uh, the Indian Residential School in Port Alberni, British Columbia. That school was run by the United Church of Canada. And that trial, I went to part of that trial at, at the very beginning, and that trial exposed, as thousands of others did, the horror that many people went through in the Indian residential school system, which the government of Canada established. And so there's a little congregation called St. Andrew's United Church in Port Alberni that sat very close to where that Indian residential school was. Very small, well, I shouldn't say very small, but it was a small congregation, about at least probably a third or half the size of the folks gathered in this place right now. And as they heard the story unfold of what went on just down the road, they said something has to happen. Our church, the United Church, uh, ran that school. We've got to do something. And so um, uh, they decided they would uh, learn about what happened there. They would learn some of the stories. They would go out and talk with some of the f- people who survived that, what went on in that school. They would talk to the community. They would talk to the New Chalneth people. And so they went through a pretty long education process of study, of prayer, of stories, of gatherings, of tears, and stories that touched their hearts. So they decided that... Um, They had to make an apology. They had to do something themselves. And so in May of 1997, in the gym of the former uh, residential school, the congregation, the little congregation of St. Andrew's United Church, apologized to 600 members of the Nuchalneth Nation. It was a huge spiritual experience for the congregation for the people who were in that room together. A small congregation making a huge statement of love, of justice, of confession, and of compassion. Well, shortly after I was elected moderator in August of 1997, a few months after they did that in Port Alberni, and shortly after uh, I was elected, a request came from that congregation to the General Council Executive, the national decision-making body of our church, and they said the national church should make an apology. The whole United Church of Canada should apologize. And they didn't just write us a letter and make a few phone calls. They relentlessly 
lobbied and spoke and talked and came to the general council executive insisting that we apologize for the whole residential school system and the spiritual, physical, and sexual violence that that system produced. Well, the debates were vigorous. They, they, they came uh, to us and they said the national church has to do it and they were not very polite about it. And the, and the debates that went on, I had the chair as moderator, you chair the executive, and the debates were vigorous and they were heartfelt and there were tears and there was anger and there was all kinds of emotions as the church tried to figure out what to do because people were saying, if we apologize, we're admitting guilt. People started to add up, well, you know, if we lose all the law cases and so on, We'll have to sell property. We'll have to do all that and the other things. So some people were, were tallying up some of the valuable property the United Church holds. And we got big old churches in downtown Vancouver, Calgary, Edmonton, Toronto, Winnipeg, Halifax, Montreal. <laughs> they started to look at these properties and what they might be worth because the people were worried about, about that kind of thing. And so the debate went on back and forth and back and forth. It challenged our Christian ethics. It challenged our understanding of what the gospel is all about. So finally, the executive decided that they would send me as, as moderator and about eight or nine other people to St. Andrews United Church, a little congregation in Port Alberni, British Columbia. And so we went there for about three or four days and met with the congregation, heard their stories. We were introduced to some of the representatives of the Chalmuth people who came and told their stories, some of them survivors of the school that used to be just down the road. And so we sat and we listened. And we listened. And we listened. And engaged in conversation that nobody had ever had before that reached our hearts, our minds, but more, more importantly, touched our faith and said, okay, what are, you, what are we really about here? And so <laughs> we went back to the general council executive and told the story and had the debate all over again. But the general council executive was persuaded by these, the members of their executive who went to Port Alberni, and they decided to make an apology on behalf of the whole church. Well, that was an interesting exercise in itself, a sort of apology by committee. The one that we read was written by one person, and it's more poetic and more heartfelt in a way. I remember sitting in a room in Saskatchewan as the lawyers and me were exchanging copies, and they would write stuff, and then I would write back, say, no, that's not good enough. <laughs> back and forth and back and forth, the drafting went, but we finally came up with the apology that I delivered in 1998. This is part of it. On behalf of the United Church of Canada, I apologize for the pain and suffering that our church's involvement in the Indian residential school system has caused. We are aware of some of the damage that this cruel and ill-conceived system of assimilation has perpetuated 
on Canada's First Nations peoples. For this we are truly and most humbly sorry. To those individuals who are physically, sexually, and mentally abused as students of the Indian residential schools in which the United Church of Canada was involved, I offer you our most sincere apology. You did nothing wrong. You were and are victims of evil acts that cannot under any circumstances be justified or excused. We know that many within our church will not understand why each of us must bear the scar, the blame for this horrendous period in Canadian history. But the truth is, we are the bearers of many blessings from our ancestors, and therefore, we must also bear their burdens. And the apology uh, goes on. Now, I believe that this was a critical moment in our history. And we have tried to honor both apologies, 1986 and 1998. And as you know, the process unfolded and so on. And finally, the court system was clogged with all these court cases. And finally, uh, the courts and the parties, meaning the churches, the government of Canada, and the various organizations representing First Nations, came to us what they called the settlement agreement under the supervisions of the, of the courts. And part of the settlement agreement was not only money, but that something like the something called the Truth and Reconciliation Commission would be established to examine the whole history of the residential schools and what they meant, and, of course, with recommendations. It was not the government. Some people think uh, the government set up the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. It was the courts that set it up as part of the settlement agreement among all the parties. It was the courts that set it up, and the government, along with the churches, were really the defendants. Anyway, so that system was, was put in place, and the Truth and Reconciliation, as you know, uh, held its hearings throughout the country, and there was heavy involvement of the United Church in the TRC process. Did anybody go to the hearings that were in, Ed, in Red Deer first, regional hearings, and then the, fi the final major hearing was in uh, Edmonton? Was anybody at any of those? Well, they were unbelievable events. They were very special events. And I want you to know that the United Church of Canada and volunteers from congregations throughout this land, wherever the TRC held its hearings, we were there as volunteers. Volunteers doing all kinds of things. Not the least of which was many, many people, not only the United Church, but primarily weaving uh, little blankets that were given to people if they wanted something uh, as a comfort to them. And it was amazing. I went to a number of the hearings and to be there and see people accept the blankets and say, I remember one woman coming to me and saying, can I take this back to my community for my aunt because she's not able to be here? Of course. And we were there. We were not only there as volunteers in all of the hearings that, that went on, far more than any other organization or group of people, 
but the staff that we had at the general council level who had been involved in this process for a long time, Jamie Scott, David McDonald, Cecile Fossack among them, made enormous contributions. And I can't tell you all they did because a lot of it was behind the scenes giving advice and encouragement to the staff of the TRC as well as to the commissioners, which included, by the way, a member of the United Church of Canada, a member of Yellowknife United Church, Marie Wilson. So we have been involved intimately in this process of trying to understand and then trying to engage in honest and true reconciliation and moving on from there. And many, many things have happened. And I want to tell you one of the things that I hear is I continue to do this work in a variety of ways. Carolyn and I have been to the, the city of Olds on Aboriginal Day to elementary schools, high schools, and universities talking to people. And you know what people say? They say the United Church shows up. You're part of a church that is showing up to try to continue the process of reconciliation. Some people want to ignore it, put it under the rug, and so on. But we have tried to show up. And so have you done the blanket exercise here? Pardon? Good. Because the blanket exercise that uh, Kairos developed, uh, that's the interchurch uh, uh, coalition for justice of all the major churches, developed a blanket exercise to try to under help us understand colonialism. And you know what? It's all over the country now. They can't keep up with the demand. In fact, the Alberta Teachers Federation signed an agreement with Kairos that every teacher at some point in the next 10 years will take the blanket exercise. People are wanting to understand and they want to move along and they want to actually hold out their hands and walk together in a new, in a new world. One of the things that the United Church did was it, it changed its crest. And now in the United Church quest, crest, excuse me, there are the four, in the four different quadrants, if you will, there are the four colors, the white, black, yellow, and red. And also in the, in the statement around, the, there's a statement in Latin and in English, uh, and now there's a statement in Mohawk because Mohawk, was the language of the first peoples that our ancestors in the Methodist Church encountered. So the Mohawk language is now on the on the uh, crest, and it means all my relations. So where do we go from here? Because of time, I'm not going to keep you here all afternoon, and you and you've got a few um, a meeting to go to. But some, there are some wonderful things that are going on. Living into right relations is the way the United Church is now describing the process that we want to engage in. And so there are circles of living into right relations in congregations throughout our church. There's one, there are a number of them in, uh, in the Calgary area. One of them is at Hillhurst United Church. You're welcome to it. Uh, it's, the, it's the fourth Tuesday of every month, and there are representatives in that from six other United Churches besides, besides Hillhurst. And actually, Hillhurst has put some money aside to do some, some more intensive work on that whole process. Uh, we are asking for witnesses and congregations, so there's going to be in October at the Kiwanis Camp uh, just down the road here near Bragg Creek, 
Uh, there's going to be a, another gathering of people, what we call witnesses in the congregations throughout this uh, Alberta and the north. Uh, there's going to be a gathering again in October. There were 70 people came to Camp Casota last year. And that process is going on, and we're looking for at least two people who will be witnesses, what we call witnesses. They're basically people, two from every congregation in, in, in Alberta, who will uh, be informed and do education and represent this matter within their congregation. And we're finding all kinds of ways to engage in advocacy. And Nick mentioned the murdered and missing women and girls and and part of that process to lend support uh understanding and in whatever way possible support efforts that are going on beyond just our our church's uh efforts one of them is i know that the metropolitan alliance for the common good is looking for the uh, that's uh, in in the calgary area uh, to try to bring churches and nonprofit organizations and unions and other uh, people together who care about the common good to come together uh, to raise these questions. And one of the major things they're trying to uh, understand and deal with and move on is moving into right relations. So there's all kinds of opportunities in our in our land. Now, I believe that one of the other things we need to do even more so as we move along in this journey is to learn and understand more about indigenous spirituality. The indigenous understanding of the land and of the creator and of the stories and wisdom that people have gained living in this land for thousands of years. And one of the th I'm one of my major concerns these days is climate change, and I think what a perfect way to achieve or to engage in reconciliation is to learn from indigenous sisters and brothers how to live in the land in a respectful and beautiful way. It's the perfect thing. <laughs> We need to address it, and we need indigenous wisdom if we are to do it with any integrity, and I think with, with any hope. Anyway, to me, the fact of the matter is, this is a great moment to be the church. <laughs> Some people are saying, oh, well, the church doesn't have much to say to anything anymore, and, and so on, or they think it's just for my own little personal life, and all these things. This is a great moment to be alive for the church. Because you know what? On a number of things, including relations with indigenous people, we have something deep and wide to offer our nation, to offer Canadians, to offer Canada as we seek to move into right relations. We have a very critical role to play. And I've seen it firsthand with people in government, people in corporations, people in the education systems, because, the, because of the work the United Church has tried to do faithfully, you know, we don't always succeed with it, obviously, but they say, what do you know? Can you help us reach out in new and different ways? 
And what we have to offer to this Canadian moment, and it's a moment in our history, which if we grab it and if we move with it, we will be doing a whole wonderful thing, not only in Canada, but for people who care about Indigenous rights all over the world. People are watching, and we are making that that contribution. It's a great time to be the church. So I just want you to know that you are part of a wider, effective United Church of Canada, which is giving leadership in many different ways to Canada's challenge of resetting the relationship with First Nations, Inuit, and Métis peoples. It's a great moment for Canada. It's a critical moment in our history. It's a great moment to be the church. It's a great moment for every Canadian, for each one of us, to learn about who we are in this land and who our sisters and brothers are who have loved this land for thousands of years. What a moment to be alive as doors are opening. The opportunity to become the people that God wants us to become, that God yearns for us to become. I'm going to close with a prayer from Art Solomon. Art died quite a few years ago, but Art Solomon was uh, an elder, Anishinaabe elder in uh, Ontario, and he worked closely with the churches in the very beginning of, of our enlightenment, if you will, many years ago. And here is Art's prayer. He was an Ojibwe elder. Grandfather, look at our brokenness. We know that in all creation, only the human family has strayed from the sacred way. We know that we are the ones who are divided, and we are the ones who must come back together to walk in the sacred way. Grandfather, sacred one, teach us love, compassion, and honor that we may heal the earth and heal each other. May it be so. Amen.